Jason, we two readings this afternoon. The first one coming from Psalm 130. And the second reading is from Titus chapter 3. Starting with Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than the watchman for the morning. The watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And we turn forward now to the New Testament of Titus. Titus chapter 3, reading from verse 1 to verse 11. And here the Apostle is talking to Titus regarding the Christians in Crete. Remind them to be submissive to rules and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hating, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of the Lord of uh, God our Saviour appeared, He saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid the foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. For as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. This afternoon we're going to be looking at Lord's Day 2 from the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, this is the first part of dealing with man's misery. It's a heavy Lord's Day, so uh, we get a double whammy today as we look at our sin and how we know our misery. Uh, Lord's Day 2 
has three questions with regard to our misery, and that's what we're considering this afternoon, the measure of misery. How do we know our misery? That's what question three begins with. How do you come to know your misery? And it answers very straightforwardly, the law of God tells me. What does God's law require of us? Christ teaches us this in summary in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Can you live up to all this perfectly? No. I have a natural tendency to hate God and my neighbor. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word this afternoon. Our Heavenly Father, we've asked that you would take the truth and plant it deep in us. Let your truth prevail over unbelief. We come to your word this afternoon not doubting its power, not doubting your word, but entrusting ourselves to your leading and your guidance. Use these means with the Holy Spirit, we pray, to change our lives and to show our need of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we uh, proceed through the Heidelberg Catechism, we need to remember question and answer too. It's so important for us to understand this. Uh, what must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? And the first thing we need to know is how great our sin and misery are. We're considering this afternoon more than the fact that we have sin and misery. Most people will acknowledge the reality, the truth, the certainty of God's word that they have sin and misery. That they aren't perfect. That they have transgressed God's law in some way. But notice that's not what we're dealing with. That's not what God's word is teaching us. That's not what God's word is. That's not where our comfort comes from. It's not knowing that we have sin and misery. But it's knowing how great our sin and misery are. You remember back in February or March this year, it seemed like a long time ago. February, I think uh, my brother and sister-in-law were here and we just casually in conversation talked about what do you think is going on with COVID? Little did we know what was going to happen. We heard the reports from Wuhan, Italy, I think it was France, and then the U.S. We didn't know how bad it could be. And then there were cases here, and one of the questions that we all wrestled with was, how bad really is this virus? Is it necessary to take such extraordinary measures to fight this pandemic? Even now, those questions are, are still floating around. Even this today, as we hear that, that Britain is going into lockdown for another month, is, is this virus so deadly that it is worth the economic disruption? Is it really bad? Is it really that horrible? Or is it just a revenue generator for the mainstream media? And conspiracies about it. Well, those 
are worldly things, those are earthly things, and they, they do take our concern, and they, they cause us great uh, uh, stress and distress, but here this afternoon, we're, we're dealing with eternal matters. We're dealing with a, a concern that touches our hearts. How bad, how great, how deadly, how treacherous is the pandemic, the spiritual pandemic of sin in our souls. This afternoon, we're going to consider the measure. Lord's Day 3 deals with the nature of our misery, and Lord's Day 4, the consequence, the outcome, the judgment that arises because of it. How do we know it? Where does it come from? And what is the result? But this afternoon, we're just dealing with the measure. The measure of our misery. And so there's three things I'd like us to look at. First of all, what test do we use? Secondly, the, the one essential need. And thirdly, what is the result? First of all, what test do we use? Sin is likened, rightly, I think, to a cancer of the soul. And it's important to know how to test for this condition. How do you know we have sin and misery? What are some of the measures? This past week, I, I heard a quote, or I read a quote, and, and it, it minimized the reality of our sin and misery, of, of how bad our condition really is. And it's, it's kind of this superficial comfort that, that really sounds nice, and it posts nice on Facebook, but when you stop and think about it, really, is minimal. Listen to the quote. No matter how bad your life may seem. Okay, so you've got it bad. No matter how bad your life may seem, there are millions of other people who have it ten times worse than you. So thank God for all your blessings, big and small. Amen. Wow. That's not the comfort we're dealing with. A comfort that says, find 10 million people who have a worse condition than you do, and be happy. <clears throat> no, we have to be honest. We have to be open. Yes, you can always find someone worse off than you. But that's not the test that we use. Or maybe you compare yourself to how you've lived Previously. Previously, you, you may have been a rat bag. You may have been selfish, self-centered, self-serving. And now you've matured a little bit. And that's good. We would hope that. As you age, you mature. And you learn to look out for other people. But again, that's not a good measure. Just because you've matured doesn't mean you've actually answered the test. Often, often, we need to be careful here because we have a sinful measure of sin. We use a work standard. You know, we, we have a test for COVID, but that's the question when you get people coming from different countries. Have their test been sufficient? Maybe they haven't shown the symptoms, and so they get a stamp from the doctor. All clear. But then they come here. I think there was a story a couple weeks ago about the fishermen who arrived, who had initially, when they left the country they were coming from, Tested negative. And, and Dr. Bloomfield said, well, you know, international tests are not all the same. And then they arrived here and they had COVID. 
Why are people sending us their COVID cases when they want to work in New Zealand? He says, well, international standards are not all the same. For students, imagine the frustration if there was a mix-up with marking your exams and the wrong answer sheet was used to grade your exams. And they're all marked wrong. And what you got right was marked wrong, and what you was did wrong was marked right. We need to have a test for misery. And this is an issue of measuring up. What test do we use? How do you come to know your misery? Very straightforwardly, the law of God tells you. Sin is an issue with God's law. It's measuring up to God's standard. And there's only one accurate standard for knowing your condition, and that is God's law. That's the test we use to measure misery. How does your life square up with what God's law calls you to? You come to know your misery from God's law. God uses his law to remind us what is the standard that he will judge us according to. Judge all mankind according to. It's his law. But then secondly, secondly, the essential need, and, and I'm not quite happy with the, the word need. I'm uh, and trying to get through this and, and to understand it. What is that essential ingredient? What is the essential thing that we have to have? It's actually an essential one. A COVID infection comes because of an introduction of the virus. So we, we contract the virus. We, we take it in. We absorb it. In measuring our misery at the very core, it's not something we take in, it's not something we absorb, it's actually something we don't have. It's the absence of something. And that's why I'm not comfortable, but I don't know one essential need. How do you speak of an essential absence? A lack of something. It just doesn't fit. And yet in measuring our misery, here's the reality. We have to recognize that that God, what God looks for in the heart of man, and there's something there that is absent. It's absent for every one of us. And this is displaying how great our sin and misery is. Sin isn't just some minor mishap or a, a misstep. The Bible uses a variety of images to identify sin. So many images because it's such a significant reality. It's missing the mark. It comes from archery. When the arrow falls short of the bullseye, it misses the mark. That's a sin. It's trespassing, having boundaries on the path that you're walking, and stepping outside of those boundaries. It's trespassing, going beyond the boundaries. It's rebellion, it's bending or twisting, it's warping and distorting the reality of what God's Word gives us. An intentional breaking of the rules or violating relationships. That's what sin. And what does do all of these lack? What is the, the one essential thing that God has told us to have? Love. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Not a humanly conceived love, not a fairy tale love that you fall into and out of, not the, the feelings of warm fuzzies that, that grow up, but a, a biblical love, a God-like love, not a brotherly love that, that loves humanity for the sake of humanity, but a love for God, a divine love, a love from God, a love that shows our God, a love that we've been created with in paradise, but has been horribly destroyed and 
removed from our souls. Do we show? Here's the one essential lack absence for why we're guilty before God. That we don't show God's love. A love for his being. A love for who he is. A love for everything about him. And he's existed with, with all eternity. That captures our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, our whole being, our whole existence is in to be enraptured with love for God. And love for our neighbor. Love for our neighbor as ourselves. God has created us to love each other. And sin so horribly distorts that. Paul reminds us of that in, in Titus 3. Is it shocking? We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient. We were out of step with God, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days, and now it relates to our neighbors, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. sort of love is absent. This one essential need is nowhere found in our souls. Psalm 130 reminds us, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? We don't have the love that is needed to measure up, to exist in the presence of God. And how different, how completely different is God's love to the measure of sin and its absence. God's love, it never misses its target. It never falls short. It never comes up empty. It's complete. It's perfect. It's whole. It's good. God's love, it, it knows the boundaries. It understands the guidelines. And it delights in them. That's why we'll consider God's law as the measure of our misery now by the Heidelberg Catechism and, and great biblical wisdom according to the grace of God. Once that grace has entered our souls and changed our hearts, there's a desire to walk in these boundaries of love. Loving God and loving our neighbor as our sons. God's law never transgresses the boundaries. It delights to stay in them. It follows them. That's the narrow way that leads to righteousness that Jesus talks about. God's love is so different than the measure of sin. It's not twisted or rebellious. It's not always needling, not always twisting, not always distorting, not intentionally breaking rules or violating relationships. God's love is perfect, pure, refreshing. On target, straight up, and whole. And we don't have that by nature. And that's one essential need of God's life. It's not found in our hearts. And what is the result? That thirdly, what is the result? 
we're all guilty. Guilty. You know, we live with this guilt for so long, we don't even realize how distorted our sinful condition is. We're like prisoners who have learned to run with the shackles on our ankles, who've learned to adjust, adjust our stride and our pace so that we can move quite quickly and quite nimbly, all the while we're shackled because of our sin. We adjust our stride and we think this is normal. The Catechism reminds us of the result of this absence of love. The result when we don't measure up. Can you live up to all of this perfectly? No, we don't have this divine love. We don't have God's love in our hearts. I, in fact, the reality is it's just the opposite. There's a complete absence. I have a natural tendency to hate God and my neighbor. We cringe a little bit, don't we, at such straight talk? We're hurt by this diagnosis. God comes as the spiritual physician and says, I have bad news for you. You have a cancer of the soul. A sin. You've had it from birth. And the reason you're feeling the way you do is because of this natural tendency to hate God and my neighbor. It's not an attractive picture of our condition. It's a natural condition, and so we think we can deal with it differently. But God's Word, God's Word doesn't allow any deviation. Our soul our soul is a well of poison that contaminates everything we do. I have a natural tendency to hate God and my Paul is spot on when he says not only are we hated by others and hating one another. It's painful to consider. That's hard news to deliver. Is this truth really going to prevail over unbelief? This truth that requires that we deal with this diagnosis, this truth that we recognize we, we need to go into lockdown mode because we're so deadly to one another. But remember the big picture of what we're dealing with. Remember the target and the, the focus and the hope that we have. We need to know this. We need to know how great, not just that we have sin and misery, we need to know how great our sin and misery are so that we may live and die in the joy of the comfort of belonging to Jesus Christ. Paul sets up this contrast beautifully in chapter, in verses 3 and 4. Here is us, diagnosed under the reality of sin, with this measure of God's law, recognizing the absence of love that we don't have, that we're by nature hating others and being hated by others. And here's the wondrous shift. Verse 4, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. He looked upon us in our sin and misery. Here is the wonder and the comfort of, that comes from belonging to Jesus Christ. 
that those who belong to him, he breaks the shackles of sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. There is more joy when we see ourselves for who we are, when we see our true selves, and in response, more earnestly look to Jesus Christ than pretending that no one will notice and no one will know. And we can hide this reality and we can keep it under wraps and we think we can contain it. It can't be done. It will be shown. It will be known. There's more joy in knowing and expressing and making this known. And I was struck again as we read through Psalm 130 how this note of joy comes that is reflected in the Heidelberg Catechism. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. But we see the wonder that God, when He looks upon us in His goodness and His kindness, and He sees us for who we are, He doesn't abandon us or avoid us. He gives His Son to save us. With you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared, that you may be worshipped, that you may be adored, that you may be honored. Oh Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. Remember what we heard this morning? Those who cling to worthless idols forsake the steadfast love that is theirs. Don't make an idol of yourself. Of your sensitivities. Acknowledge the measure of your sin. See how great your sin and misery are. Because with him and his steadfast love is plentiful redemption. Maybe we forget that last part. That the reason we, we want to be more secretive about the reality of sin is because we're just a little bit stingy. They don't deserve that. As if we do. There is plentiful and overflowing fountain of abundant redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. <coughs> Every one of them. To be atoned for, has been atoned for. Through the work of Jesus Christ. The measure of our misery, how great it is. And it shows us the glory and the goodness of God in His grace. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. May God be praised and glorified as we make known the joy that is found in knowing how great our sin and misery are. The whole world tells us, no, just ignore it. You guys aren't that bad. You're pretty decent folk. And we have to tell them, no, actually, you don't know who I really am. I have a natural tendency to hate God. But God has saved me from my son. Praise Him. Amen. Oh,